Welcome to the CB On Air Partners in Focus series. My name is Yasha Popovic and I'm Associate Editor at Central Banking. Business and financial cycles follow expansion, peak, recession and recovery phases. During the low interest rate environment after the global financial crisis, many nations around the world were in the expansion phase. The global unsinking can be viewed in terms of the financial and business cycle separating, as well as advanced and emerging economies following different paths as the Fed hikes its interest rates. The S&P 500 continued rising until the end of 2021, while the real economy faltered. The Fed policy rate has such a gravitational pull that its interest rate increases pose a dilemma for emerging market nations. Interest rate hikes by the Fed cause capital flight away from emerging markets, limiting GDP growth. As the currency value of emerging market economies decline against the strengthening dollar, this further increases inflationary pressures. Central bankers in emerging markets must choose whether to raise with the Fed, thereby further risking recession, or keep an accommodating monetary policy, but risking contributing to inflation, which for many is also exacerbated by external price shocks in food and energy commodity markets. I am pleased once again to be joined by Diana Dengo, Investment Director at Wellington Management, to talk about this global unsinking. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Josha. Very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. Donna, how quickly have you seen the Fed's decisions filtering into markets and what have the effects been? You know, by now, I'm sure we're all tired of hearing about how difficult and volatile markets have been in 2022. But when I look at the stats, you know, to me, they still tell a staggering story. U.S. CPI hit a 40-year high this year. The German PPI at a 100-year high. There have been a total of 280 global interest rate hikes this year. That's the equivalent to more than one for every trading day. Global government bonds are down 22%, and that is the most since 1949. So in short, yes, we have seen the effects of high inflation and interest rate hikes filtering quickly and dramatically into the markets. And we are also seeing the effects of these hikes on the real economy. I'll buy it with a lag. We expect a significant slowing in growth over the next 6 to 12 months, and recent Fed rhetoric has implicitly endorsed that idea that we need a recession or at the very least a significant slowdown for some period of time in order to keep inflation expectations anchored. The Fed is clearly very concerned about a situation in which policy is eased at the first sign of weaker growth, only to see inflation reaccelerate. So the message is clear, you know, higher for longer. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't any good news. After the sell-off we've seen this year, yields and fixed income, particularly at the short end of the curve, are more attractive than they've been pretty much since the great financial crisis. Five-year U.S. Treasuries yielding between three and a half and four. Corporates are yielding north of five. So these are really attractive entry points. Elsewhere, what key differences in interest rate decisions are you seeing? As I mentioned earlier, I expect global growth to slow from here. Now, what is interesting to me is how different countries and regions are going to respond to that slowdown in an environment where inflation is still high. On the one hand, we've seen some countries slow or pause interest rate hikes, generally focusing on prioritizing growth and in some cases financial stability over inflation. In others, we've seen a greater willingness to sacrifice short-term growth in order to keep a lid on inflation. Now, on the first camp, 
In countries that are looking to slow or pause interest rate hikes, we see countries like Norway, Canada, and Australia. These are, in general, smaller open economies with high household leverage. And because of that high household leverage, higher rates could lead to financial stability issues. And so we've seen central banks take that more into account. In the second camp, you know, in countries that are more willing to sacrifice growth in order to control inflation are countries like the U.S. The U.S. economy is still resilient. And while the Fed has signaled smaller rate hikes moving forward, they've also emphasized their willingness to keep rates higher for longer and sacrifice growth. The Fed is in data dependence mode, and until they see favorable developments in key factors, like the labor market, inflation, and wage growth, I think the message will likely continue to be higher for longer. Interestingly, on a completely different path is the Chinese economy. You know, hobbled by zero COVID, underlying problems in the property sector, and weakness in manufacturing, China has been under pressure this year. But that now looks to be changing with the imminent reopening of China. Thus far, they've maintained a relatively loose fiscal policy, but we may see that change. We've already seen a huge rally in stocks with Chinese exposure, and we could see pent-up demand upon reopening and perhaps inflation begin to pick up. What does this divergence mean in terms of investment considerations for reserve managers in different regions? To me, what this means is that local conditions on the ground matter and that faced with different realities, different central banks may choose different paths. As a practitioner, to me, that means that adopting an investment strategy that can be nimble and take advantage of these divergencies is important. It's also important to allocate to flexible global strategies that can pick their spots, increasing and decreasing allocation to different regions as they move through the cycle. In a more volatile world, liquidity and flexibility are increasingly valuable. And that's an interesting point. You know, we continue to see overwhelming evidence that volatility will continue to define markets in 2023, including fixed income. Whether the global trajectory of inflation and interest rates, you know, the war in Ukraine, nation by nation energy stability, or the China reopening, there are just too many uncertainties still looming over markets into 2023, such that you know, I expect the coming year to continue to be highly volatile with a high risk, high reward credit environment, one that continues to be defined by dispersion. So, as an active manager, to me, that means that deep research-driven active management will continue to be rewarded. So with regard to business and financial cycles, how do you view the effects of the unsinking between them? It's difficult to overstate the role that stability has played in defining markets over the past two decades. Now, a striking feature of the past, call it 25 years, is how low volatility has been. I mean, yes, we've seen times when it has spiked, probably the great financial crisis, chief among them. Um, but these spikes have been short-lived because every time we saw them, central banks rode to the rescue with their extremely accommodative monetary backstops. Generally speaking, you know, real rates shortly thereafter pushed lower and the business cycle reverted back relatively quickly to that stable state of growth with low inflation. One of our main themes in 2022, and that I think will continue into 2023, is the idea that you know not only was inflation high, but that it will remain structurally higher going forward. 
not at the current levels, right? And, and, and not high all the time, but just higher in a structural sense than it has been for the past two decades. And that's because there are structural changes like onshoring and decarbonization and persistently higher defense spending. I mean, these are all likely to generate a higher cost base and therefore higher in inflation. And that is a change from the past. If this is right, that inflation is structurally higher than it has been, then the ability of central banks to act, to serve as that backstop, that role that they've been playing over the past two decades, that changes. You know, if they if they intervene to the same level that they've intervened in the past, then they risk making inflation even higher. And in that environment, you know, policy becomes more variable with a high chance of over tightening into downturns and overstimulating into upturns. Central banks in this environment risk becoming a source of volatility and not the source of stability that they have been since the great financial crisis. In that world, the business, the economic cycle will no longer spend most of the time in that one stable state of growth with low inflation, but rather it will more frequently oscillate through cycles. And in that world, being nimble and liquid is of the utmost importance. Now, like I said before, that's not to say that inflation will always be high. Inflation is both structural and cyclical. So while I think that inflation will be structurally higher, that doesn't mean that it will always be cyclically higher. Now, as, as we've seen this year and we're starting to see now, COVID caused seismic supply chain disruptions, many of which are now abating. That is a cyclical force. And as that abates, we've seen the price decline globally. COVID has also permanently altered certain consumer behavior and expedited certain trends, you know, from e-commerce adoption to deglobalization and decarbonization. In the year ahead, correctly identifying which shifts are temporary, cyclical, and which are more permanent and structural will be, I think, essential to identifying market risk factors across sovereign bonds and currencies. Over time, do you think that these cycles will sync up again, that they will regulate? Or is it just too early to tell and so much rests on central banks' policy decisions? Central banks have a very difficult job that is only made harder in a period of higher volatility, of higher cyclicality. So what central banks are trying to do, of course, is engineer a soft landing, lower growth by raising interest rates, but only as much as absolutely needed in order to control inflation. But in practice, that's really hard to do because the real economy responds to the central bank actions with a lag. Central banks will raise interest rates, but it may take several months or quarters to see what the actual effects in the real economy are. But if the central banks wait to see what the effects are, then they could easily, if they don't rate rates enough, fall behind the curve and risk entrenching inflation into the economy. So it's a difficult job that you know, what is easier was easier in the relative stability that we've seen in the past two decades, but becomes increasingly harder in, in volatile times. And as I said before, you know, central banks, if they do too little, risk entrenching more inflation into the economy. If they do too much, they risk having too great an effect on employment, on growth. So I think in volatile times, we will continue to see 
and unsinking between business and financial cycles greater than we have seen in the relative stability that we've experienced for the past two decades. Diana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Josha. Thank you so much for having me again. And I hope that this has been useful. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.